the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's the Tuesday program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you need to do is to call us, 210-340-9585. If you are outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you are driving in your car, I remind you every time the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app at the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Let's get right to questions today. Here is our first one, and it comes from Mick from our mobile app, and he wants to know who is uh, my favorite person from the Old Testament and why. Mick, that's an impossible question. I'm like a parent with children sometimes. You know, at different times you love them all, and and this one's my favorite. No, this one's my favorite. Um, but but let me let me narrow it down a little bit. Um, I my life has been especially impacted by Enoch. Uh, Enoch was a man who, for sixty five years, lived in a world that was completely given over to wickedness. Um, uh, he was one of those men. Uh, then he got a message from God, and because he heard the word of God, he changed, and then for the next 300 years, he walked with, with the Lord. And uh, and then, of course, you guys know the story. Uh, the Lord took him, and he was no more. Uh, Enoch has um, been so important in my life because I walk with the Lord, and I don't mean to, to equate my walk with Jesus with Enoch's, nothing like that. But um, when I pray, uh, it, I'm usually walking. I love being outside with the Lord, away from distractions, away from phones, away from anything and everything. And, and it's just those times with Jesus. It's where I developed my um, just be with Jesus philosophy of life. Uh, my life has been enriched immeasurably by Enoch. And, um, you know, one of these days I will be no more. I, I pray that it will be the rapture of the church, but um, one of these. But, but when I go to be with Jesus, I want it to be as natural as taking a walk with the Lord. And and Mick, I think uh, that's why Enoch is is probably my overarching favorite. Now, there's a whole bunch of men that are and women, by the way, that are uh, more interesting to teach on. But just personally, Enoch has um, has impacted my life immeasurably. Uh, I like Moses as well. Moses um, turned his back on the riches and the power of Egypt um, to endure suffering. Um, uh, his faith was unbelievable. I love the fact that, 
that he wanted to be in the presence of the Lord, that he, in in uh, chapter 33 of uh, Exodus, he was bold enough to say, show me your glory. Uh, I love that about him as well. So, I mean, there are so many, but the character studies in the Old Testament are so rich, and uh, I like them. I think I'll add one more. I, I think this is probably the, the most fun person to teach on in the Old Testament, and that's uh, Gideon. Um, um, it's fascinating to teach on Gideon. Um, you know, he he didn't have a high estimation of his own value. Uh, when Jesus said, hey, almighty warrior, he started looking around to find out who Jesus was talking to. But um, um, it just depends what I'm doing. But um, I'll repeat that Enoch is the one I think that has impacted my life personally the most. Thank you, Mick, for asking the question. Here is a question from Seth. He says, how are we supposed to understand Matthew five forty-eight? It's a scary verse, Seth. It says, uh, be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And immediately we're all disqualified because nobody is except Jesus. But you see, Jesus gave us his perfection. Now, to understand Matthew 5.48, Seth, you've got to understand the Sermon on the Mount. Um, people try to make so much of that, and they misunderstand the intent of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount was given by Jesus to Jews. Jews who believed that by the law, they thought they had what we would call salvation. And, and just having the law, not doing it, but just having the law. Uh, put them in a position, a favored position with the Lord. And Jesus is basically on the, in the Sermon on the Mount. He is telling the Jews, uh, both the religious leaders and the ordinary person, um, speaking to his disciples as well. Um, what he's saying is this, if you want to go to heaven without believing in me, this is how good you have to be. you got to be perfect. And while that should scare all of us to death, Remember, Jesus gave us his perfection. When God looks at us, he sees us through the filter of his perfect son. And then, as in the Song of Songs, we, he can look at us and say, Oh, beautiful you are, my darling. There's no flaw in you. Now, we recoil at that because we're aware of all of our flaws. But basically, Jesus is just saying, Look, you've got you to be perfect. Other than believing in me, um, you've got to be perfect. And because nobody is, that's a condemnation. Uh, it's a death sentence forever and ever and ever. One other thing, Seth, about the Sermon on the Mount. Um, he makes this point. I think this is where a lot of New Testament commentators and, and Bible teachers miss it. Um, Jesus lets them know, you've heard that it is written. And then he quotes a law. And then he, he, he upgrades that. He says, but I say unto you, uh, if a man has so much looked with lust at a woman that he's guilty of adultery. So those are the kind of things. Jesus is raising the standard for heaven to an impossible place. And just like Paul will say in his letter to the Galatians, um, he'll say that the, 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 the law or, or the commandments are a schoolmaster leading us to the person of Jesus Christ that leads us to the place of hopelessness. We need to get to the place where we say, look, I can't do it. Well, if the law puts us in a hopeless situation, how much more when Jesus sort of ups the ante on the law? So here's the letter of the law. you got to do it perfectly, but I'm going to go one step further and say here's the spirit behind the letter of the law. And what you have to do with that is even more difficult. And the point is we should all throw up our hands and say, Lord, I can't be perfect with you. One other comment, Seth. You know, we deal with this concept of perfection. Um, we, we don't deal with it well. And here's what I mean. We think too often, well, I can't be perfect. I might as well just give up trying. No, we're to aim for perfection. The Apostle Paul says that. Uh, Jesus says it in different words. We're to aim for perfection uh, every day of our lives. And then when we're not perfect, thank God for his grace. We can confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. And then we can aim for perfection uh, one step further. So I think that's the best answer I can give. Here's a question from Amber. She says, will there be any disappointment in heaven? 
Um, yeah, Amber, there will, um, especially when we stand at the Bema seat of Christ or the reward seat of Christ. Um, there will be um, a loss of rewards. You know, we'll receive crowns as rewards, but we'll also lose um, rewards because we weren't faithful, because God had something for us, and uh, our, our decision was uh, to do something else. So those are the important things that we need to remember. So there will be disappointment. I've had people get angry with me, uh, Amber, over that, because the um, uh, idea of heaven, you know, everything's going to be perfect. We're not going to have any more problems. Everything is going to be... But but we need to remember for sure, for sure, that there's going to be a situation in heaven where we're going to look at Jesus and he's going to be disappointed. And we're going to deal with that. And then he will say, enter into the joy and the peace of your Lord. But yeah, there will be some disappointment in heaven. It'd be great if it was all perfect but the life that we live here on earth matters a great deal. Thank you for the question, Amber. Here is a question from Kaylee. Um, she says, in Ezekiel 24, God takes away his wife, the delight of his eyes, to show how the people should respond when their delight, Jerusalem, is taken away. I've heard pastors say that before they teach something, God will put them through that trial first. Has that ever happened to you? Kaylee, obviously God hasn't taken Paul away. I would I would uh, shrivel up <laughs> without her. Um but but yeah, we 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 often we pastors are dealing with the very things that we're teaching. Uh one of the worst crises, not crises, I guess that's not the right word, but one of the most painful experiences of of my life as a pastor. Um, I, I happened to be teaching through the prophecy of Jeremiah. And uh, it was like every day I opened a page, every day I, I would, I would do, prepare a new study, um, I, could, I could look at that study and realize that God was putting me through those kinds of tests at, at that very moment. And so, um, yeah, I remember one particular time uh, when things were really bad, we had a, a group of people in the church that objected to a free school, the free school that we have. Now, we've had it for 23 years now, but uh, at the beginning, it was just an attack from the enemy, wanted to try to kill the work that God was doing, and uh, and, and they, they tried to make life impossible, told people that, that we weren't being good stewards of the money and they should stop giving. I mean, it was really, really a painful thing. And I didn't understand it. You know, I'm I'm a, a relatively new pastor at that point, and and I just thought, well, who wouldn't want to do what God wants us to do? And and, and how could this not be of the Lord? And um, I remember one day it got overwhelming. Just one one day in particular, it was overwhelming, and I I was getting a little bit whiny. You know how we humans do when things aren't going our way. God, it's not fair. I love these people. I've been praying for them. I, I'm just being obedient. And, and it was almost like the Lord said, shut up. And I happened to be in chapter 12 of Jeremiah that night. And I was so distraught that that uh, about 4 o'clock, this is obviously long before I was doing this radio show, um, I, I just got to the point, I just went out and took a walk. It was really hot outside. But I went out and took a walk. I just had to get away, crying out to the Lord. And instead of putting his arms around me, you know how we do with a little kid, old baby, it's going to be okay, and pat him on the back. The Lord just said, right from Jeremiah chapter 12, the fifth verse, he said, if you run with men on foot and they've tired you out, how are you going to run with horses? And that was God telling me to grow up, Kaylee. That was God telling me, grow up, we got this. And it was a lesson that I really needed to learn. So, yeah, there are some situations that we have to go through. For that reason, Kaylee, I put off teaching Job for the longest time. I just um, really, really, really was was um, hesitant to teach Job. And uh, our, our, our verse-by-verse study through the book of Job was transformative for our church. I mean, it was really, really um, uh, an important book for Calvary Chapel San Antonio. Thank you for the questions, 340-9585, for your live calls and questions. Here is a question anonymously from our email inbox. What can I tell my granddaughter who is tired of living because of the sexual abuse she went through when she was young? 
we talk a lot, uh, we've talked a lot, but now she seems more desperate to the point of being suicidal. Uh, she states that she has forgiven. I'm just a grandma. I've told her about what Jesus has done for her. She does good for well, then gets down. This is a really serious situation, uh, Anonymous, and this is a place where you really, really need to enlist the help of your church. Um, you know, we, we've got, uh, I, I can't tell you how many uh, adults we have, both men and women, at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, and this is just one church. Um, but but who have suffered abuse and have 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 walked through it victoriously, and um, you, you, in the church there's help. She can be comforted uh, by others who have been comforted by God through difficult things, and I think one of the important things is that she realizes that she's not alone, and somebody who's been through it will have some some credibility with her, and and they'll be able to say, look, don't blame God for this. Um, all things are new in Christ and, and just give her a new perspective. This is really important. This isn't something uh, just to, well, she's okay right now. So this is this is what the body of Christ is for. Now, I know there's a bunch of people screaming at the radios right now. She needs to be in therapy. She needs to be in counseling. I don't think that's the case. Now, she's not a believer. Yeah. but But your question here indicates that she is. Um, um, Jesus will heal. Jesus will help. But she's going to need to be walked through this. You don't tell me how old she is, but but Jesus will help her walk through this, and there are people in the body who will be able to do that. I'm betting, Anonymous, that if you went to your pastor and explained the the situation, uh, he would know uh, a bunch of people, a bunch of of, uh, women in the church who have been through exactly the same thing. Now, one of the things we have to be careful of in in a church setting is not just throwing out religious platitudes or or diminishing uh, the pain this girl is in, Um, uh, but somebody who has been through that pain themselves will be able to hurt. So get in touch with your pastor uh, quickly and uh, don't give your granddaughter a vote in the issue. Um, I, I promise you, he will know somebody who has been through it. I, I can think right off the top of my head, uh, a half dozen women in the church of different ages uh, who have been through this and have overcome. So I hope that helps, Anonymous. I'm sorry that your granddaughter had to go through that. I'm sorry uh, that you're going through it as well. Those are hard ones. Let's go to the phones. We've got an anonymous call on line one. Thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. Um, You brought this up. Otherwise, this wouldn't have crossed my mind. But uh, what what do you suppose happens to the crowns that we did not get? You know, otherwise we would lay them at... (laughs) the feet, but the ones that we missed yep. that we're going to be bummed out about, what happens to them? Do they, are they just non-existent, or do they go to, you know, mm. you've said before that, uh, well, if there's a job you're supposed to do and you don't do it, somebody else will do it, because he'll find a way, but what what happens to yep. the clowns? <laughs> yeah, you know, Ray, I, I've actually spent so much time over the years thinking about that. Uh, because I don't want to miss out on anything that God has for me. And, and the, the the reality is those crowns will be given to others. Uh, in the parable of the talents or the parable of the minus, different different books, but uh, same basic lesson. Um, the person who was unfaithful has what he was given, taken from him and given to somebody who was faithful. And for me personally, and, and I, I realize not everybody's uh, as as nutty as I am. But for me personally, the thing that bothers me the most is the, the, the possibility, even the likelihood, that there are going to be things that Jesus wanted me to do that I didn't do. And he's going to say to somebody uh, else, um, um, here's the, 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 the opportunity that was intended for Ron. He didn't do it. He wasn't faithful. So now you get to do it. So we're going to be there and watch those crowns being given crowns that were intended for us, being given to other people. 
And and that to me is just the worst of the worst in terms of the the struggles. Satan is always sort of trying to push those buttons, and and you know my response is, Lord, just help me to be faithful. I can do nothing apart from you, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I just want to be really, really close. You know, I used to wonder a lot, why did God send uh, a 44-year-old, at the time we came from California to San Antonio, a 44-year-old white guy and a 43-year-old black woman, why did God send us to a city that is 60% Hispanic? And, you know, there's no reason that the Spirit gives for that. And and all I could imagine was that there was somebody else who was sent here by God who wasn't faithful and he's waiting for somebody who would be. And I want to be that faithful person. So, uh, Anonymous, that's the the best we can do. Um, But uh, other than knowing for sure that somebody else will get the reward that we missed out on, uh, God's God's reward cabinet, when, when they're all given out, is going to be completely empty because nothing can foil the work that God wants to do. That's a good question. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Ash. Uh, he wants to know my comments on free grace versus lordship salvation. Uh, Ash, yes. <laughs> grace is free. And we're only really saved when Jesus is our Lord. You know, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. But the idea that he's Lord isn't just us acknowledging that's a title he has. That's the position that we're giving him in our own lives. And so uh, Lordship Salvation, uh, by definition, uh, is 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 what salvation really is. You can't come to Jesus and do your own thing and expect that that's going to be a ticket to heaven. And still, because we are sinners, the grace given by God is free. I think a better uh, contrast, Ash, would be cheap grace or lordship salvation. Cheap grace, uh, there's no such thing. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called The... the, the uh, Oh, why am I, the cost of discipleship. I went blank for a moment. The cost of discipleship. And um, that was a book that changed my life. I was a new Christian trying to figure out these questions about, is Jesus Lord? Does he have to be Lord? Or is grace free? I, I, I'm brand new. I needed to understand this stuff. And God sort of sovereignly led me to that book. And um, um, believe me, it changed the course of my whole life. Uh, because I realized that, yeah, grace was free, but there's a responsibility that goes with it. And then I was also later exposed to a bunch of professing Christians who who had no intention of making Jesus Lord of their lives. And, you know, of, of the way they lived, Paul writes that people who live like they are living will not inherit the kingdom of God. Um, so you have to wrestle with, well, did God fail? Did they fail? What's the answer? And, and the answer is going to be found right in the middle. Jesus must be the Lord of your life. When you sin, you got to hate it. When you meet him, you realize that he died for your sins. And because he died for your sins, um, you're forgiven. The old is gone and the new has come. Um, having said that, um, we calling him Lord doesn't really accomplish anything. We've got to surrender to him. To be my disciple, Jesus said, you must deny yourself. Think about that for a moment. That's why I hesitated. Deny yourself. It can't be about you. you got to get over you. I tell our church all the time, you got to get over you. And then pick up your cross. A cross is an instrument of execution. So what it means is that you've got to every single day die to yourself. My flesh and your flesh are the same. It wants to come to life. So you die to yourself. And then Jesus said, final step is follow him. And that's what lordship salvation really is all about. Jesus, I want what you want. That doesn't mean that we're going to do that perfectly. But again, I want to stress from my Matthew 5.48 question earlier, every single real believer ought to want to be perfect every day. And when we don't, it's not, a, oh, bummer, what's the point in trying? When we're, when we're not, that's why 
He made it simple to reconnect to him, and we get a new start all over. So free grace or cheap grace um, uh, doesn't exist. It costs everything. Uh, in fact, that grace, the, the grace of God that brings salvation, has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and live self-controlled, upright lives in this present age. That's Titus chapter 2, verse 11. So um, cheap grace, free grace doesn't really exist. And yes, if you're really saved, um, then Jesus is your Lord. And if he's not your Lord, then the reality is you probably haven't met him. So I hope that makes sense, Ash. It's a big question. John MacArthur wrote a book, uh, the, the, the Gospel According to Jesus. I think this is back in the ooh, late 80s, early 90s. And uh, that book caused so much confusion among people and really no confusion at all. Jesus is Lord. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. We'd love your input. So your phone numbers for your live calls and questions is 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our tuesday show 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR for your questions here is a question from jay Pastor Ron, the New Testament God and Jesus seem so different in how they deal with people and sin. I think he meant the Old Testament God and Jesus seem so different in how they deal with people and sin. And then he wants to know why. Gee, they're really not different at all. Uh, You know, I've had this question um, a lot. You know, Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is love. He died for the sins of the world. And all of that's true. Uh, and they want to know, well, well, why is the Old Testament God so mean and angry? Um, if you read the book of Revelation, uh, when the judgment of God hits, starting in chapter 6, but especially when it comes to chapter 19, when Jesus returns, you're going to find out that they're not different at all. God is holy, and sin has to be dealt with. Now, the thing you need to remember about the Old Testament God, Jay, is that he was very patient Uh, For more than 400 years, he waited for the Amalekites. And they refused to repent. Uh, God was patient with Nineveh. Uh, When Nineveh was um, um, given a message of judgment, they repented. And and then for another 75 or 80 years, um, uh, they walked with the blessing of God in their lives. God was patient with his own people, Israel. I made a comment yesterday because I'm in the book of Jeremiah now in my own personal reading. And uh, God was patient over and over and over. It's almost like the parent who says, if you do that one more time, I'm going to spank you. And then you one more time. And he says, okay, one more time. But he kept saying one more time for ages because he's patient in judgment. Isaiah 28 says, is a strange work for God. In the New Testament, Jesus took that wrath of God on himself in our place. So he didn't just overlook sin. I think sometimes when we think Jesus died for my sins, it rolls so easily off of our lips. I think sometimes we feel like, okay, well, that means I got away with it. You didn't get away with anything. Jesus was judged harshly with the wrath of God coming upon him for your sin. But eventually God is going to deal with everybody either in judgment. Philippians chapter 2 says, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Lord. And what that means is we're going to either either with joy be able to say Jesus is Lord or in, in, in terror we're going to say that he's whole. We're the friend or foe. But he doesn't deal with people and sin any differently. 
God has just chosen this particular period of time to deal with the world in grace. When he was dealing with the world in judgment, he let him know that to violate the law or to break his commandments, the penalty was going to be death. You can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. If you disobey me, if you eat from the the tree of the uh, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, surely you'll die. And uh, because we don't believe him, um, we end up dying. So there's no difference, Jay, in the Old Testament God and Jesus. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And holiness demands justice. Holiness demands punishment for sins. Um, God is just maybe a little more patient in this time of grace. I hope that makes sense to you, Jay. But there's no difference uh, between the two. Let's go to Cindy on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I I actually have two things. Um, First, I just want to say if there's anybody out there that wasn't at our Monday night women's Bible study or didn't watch online, I would highly recommend that you watch it. I mean, all our ladies do a really great job teaching Mondays, but this one was like super power-packed, and um, I, I oh, just think bless it your heart. amazing Bible study. It, it's something that you can keep going over and over and over and, and still get fed from it. So anyways, that, that was what I had there, but what I called about was, what exactly does it mean when it says the first will be last and the last will be first? And is there anything in there that could help somebody who's really struggling to keep their walk together due to difficult um, surroundings and situations? So there's my question, and I'm going to listen on the radio. Bye. Thank you, Cindy. Bye-bye. And, and thank you for commenting on the Bible study. I haven't uh, been able to listen to it, but I think that's the one Jocelyn did last night. And Paula came home and she said, boy, she did a great job. So thank you. And you can watch that at calvarysa.com. Um, just go to the Monday Night Bible Studies, Women's Bible Studies, and uh, she will be there. So bless your heart. Um, the first will be last and the last will be first. Now, remember, God came to the Jews And um, the Jews rejected him. So then he's going to go to the Gentiles last. And the Gentiles are going to be the first ones into the kingdom of God uh, because they're going to make up the church. So that's what he's talking about. And when he's talking uh, to Jews, um, he's basically saying, look, just because you're Jewish by birth, that's that's your, 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 your nationality, doesn't mean you're going to get to heaven. So that's all it means, Cindy. And um, um, Jews who believe that they had the rest of the world um, beat, that, that God would had chose them, um, and and the result was uh, he rejected everybody else. That's the way we humans understand things. Um, but but here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, I, I gave you the first opportunity, but by your rejection, uh, then what will happen as a result uh, is there's going to be um, unnatural branches grafted into the vine. So uh, that's important, Cindy. So, And in the end, one more question in there. Remember what it was? Uh, how do you encourage somebody who's doing Oh, thank you. How do you encourage somebody to, to keep their walk with the Lord uh, when they're going through difficult things? You know, uh, Cindy, these, this is a hard question for me because it really doesn't make sense to me. Now, I, I understand that people have, they struggle. We we all struggle. We all have flesh. The world that we live in is horrible. But see, this is when we have to be fighters. And we have to fight to be in the presence of the Lord. And we have to fight more fiercely when we're going through difficult things. So it's not a matter of of patting somebody in the back and saying, come on, you can do it. Uh, our encouragement to them has got to be um, that that they need to fight for themselves in the power of the Spirit, that they need to run to Jesus. And usually when somebody's struggling, they're walking going up and down, it's because their focus is on the wrong thing. And, and Cindy, whenever we get more focused on the things that are difficult in our lives than we are on Jesus who can deliver us through or from that difficulty, then things are going to be hard. 
you know, the principles are always the same. We don't seem to have a problem running to Jesus when everything is going well. But it's when things aren't going well, when we're facing all kinds of trials. Well, those trials are tests that are allowed, sometimes even directed by God, to test our hearts. Are we going to run to Jesus or are we going to run to the world? Um, I said earlier, we got to get over ourselves. And, and, the, and the, the man or the woman who's struggling the most, that's the person that needs to be told, come on. You can do this. You got to fight. Get up out of bed. Get get in the word. Uh, get to church. Serve other people. And and see, the devil has no answer for those kind of things. But the man or the woman, Cindy, who sits around complaining about um, um, how tough things are, how how difficult their life is, um, that's the person who is going to be a punching bag. Uh, figuratively speaking, for the 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 enemy of their souls. So we've got to fight, and we fight like crazy. Our focus, be in the presence of Jesus. So that's what you ought to do. Thank you, Cindy. Appreciate it. Here's an anonymous question. Uh, what does Pastor Ron think of the 24-hour religious program, Shepherd's Chapel? That's a called-in question to our program. It is poison, it's heresy, it's Arnold Murray, um, and and believe me, why he has a following, uh, it's only people who don't know how to read their Bible, so it's a horrible, horrible, horrible program, uh, has nothing to do with Jesus Christ, though he uses or misuses the name Jesus Christ, but uh, he is a terrible, terrible false teacher, stay away from him completely, um, bad guy, I thought he was dead. But the the program, I think they're still airing. It's going on. But but uh, if I'm if I'm incorrect about him being dead, um, but but this guy that we won't see in heaven, uh, almost certainly, he's a terrible terrible heretic. Thank you for calling in the question. Stay away from Arnold Murray. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Uh, Chris asks. Uh, are the rapture and the second coming the same event? No, Chris, they're two separate events. I'm going to be talking about this in Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2 uh, this coming Friday, in fact, um, because uh, Paul writes this is concerning uh, the appearing of our Lord and us, the church being gathered to him. There are two different things. The rapture of the church is going to happen first. It's going to happen approximately seven years before Jesus returns in Revelation chapter 19. But the rapture is us being called to meet Jesus in the air. We're here. Our bodies are going to be transformed. We're going to go up to to, to, to heaven, and Jesus will meet us in the air and then take us to be with him for the wedding supper of the Lamb. So that's the first event. The second coming is when Jesus returns. You and I will be with him, Chris. Uh, he returns to the earth to judge the world that we live in. And he is going to destroy every enemy. And then, of course, that will usher in the millennial kingdom of Christ on the earth. So the rapture the second coming are two different things. A lot of confusion about this is that people sort of wrap them up in the same thing. That's not true. Um, my producer is telling me Arnold Murray died in 2014. Um, he's from Arkansas, and um, that's when. Um, so, so I thought that was correct, but I'm just shocked that that there are people that keep that program alive. Stay away, away, away. Thank you, producer, for that. Here's a question from Adam. Uh, Pastor Ron, what is the benefit of teaching verse by verse like you do? versus doing topical sermons. Uh, Adam, for me, uh, um, now, now there are men who are so gifted at preaching topical sermons, and they teach in those sermons as well. Uh, Paul and I like to listen to Charles Stanley. Um, you know, he, he does topical messages, or did. Now he's, he's retired from the, from the pastorate, still very active in ministry. Uh, just had his 90th birthday, by the way. Happy birthday, Charles. He's a hero, by the way. He's just a, a faithful man for so very, very long. 
Um, but for me, I, I'm just not creative enough to figure out a topic. Okay, what is what does God want to talk about this? So teaching verse by verse through the Bible uh, gives us an outline. My church knows exactly where I'm going to begin when we come in here on Sunday or Wednesday or Friday nights. Different books, but but they know exactly where we're going to begin. Wherever we left off last week, we're going to begin in the next verse this week. And so they can follow it through, and it gives them an opportunity to read the passage of Scripture in context with with no eisegesis. That's, that's looking at the Scripture and adding stuff to it. But, but exegesis, which is reading the Scripture and pulling out what's there, uh, and it is, uh, it is a benefit um, studying it that way in many, many ways. One of the benefits, Adam, is that um, because of the way I teach through the Bible, uh, I can't skip anything. I, you know, I don't get to pick certain passages of Scripture that I'm going to talk about and others that I don't want to talk about. If I'm in a bad mood, um, you know, then I, I'm well, I'm going to do something cheery today. No, I'm going to write where I am. There are times, Adam, when I come in, and uh, I'll tell Paula, I'll say, pray for me. This isn't a dynamic portion of Scripture. By that I mean it's not one that people really want to hear about. There are some really hard things. Right now on Sundays, we're in the end of the Gospel of Mark. I'm going to finish chapter 14 this week. And um, in the in the Gospel of Mark, it's tough. We're, we're going to the cross with Jesus. We're watching people desert him. Um, just it, it gets hard. Uh, if I don't feel like doing it, I can't skip it. If I skip a passage, I say, you know, let's just go to another chapter because that's that. I just don't feel like teaching that. Uh, the people in my church would would sort of rebel against that because they've been trained to cover everything. And um, you know, we get the passages of scripture that are fun to teach. We get the passages that are really difficult to teach. But we can't leave out anything. And I think that's the only way to teach people to deal with. Uh, the world that we live in, the, the darkness in this world, um, the the attacks on the Word of God, it's got to be a foundation that is unshakable, immovable. And just this is just me. I believe with all of my heart that it is the only way to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to prepare them for the struggles, the trials that they're going to have. So, Adam, I hope that makes sense. You know, topical messages... Um, can be okay, um, but, but but typically they're not very deep. Uh, and, you know, I think the problem is you can tell somebody what to do, but unless you've taught them how to do it, then that's where they're going to get lost. So I hope that makes sense to you. Thank you. Here is a question anonymously from our email inbox. Oh, Pastor, good day. I pray that you and Paula... Oh, no, he says, I pray all is well with you. I saw the P and the A-L-L. Here's my question. Can you shed some light on Revelation chapter 7, verse 1, please? My teenage daughter asked me about it, and I think I kind of went off the rails. I end up telling her that angels control the weather and not believe in foolish talk about global warming. The idea that man can affect weather is not believable, and I pointed this verse out as an example. Please forgive me for messing up, uh, for messing that up or taking scripture out of context. Can you help me here? Let me read this, and then, yeah, I can offer some help. Um, here's what he's saying. After this, verse 1 says, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. Now, um, uh, angels do not control the weather. Period. Uh, the weather is 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 what it is. Um, God can um, can control the weather if He chooses to do it. Jesus did that on the Sea of Galilee when they were in the middle of a storm. But uh, angels don't control the weather. This is um, figurative language in Revelation chapter seven to describe um, something that is happening. Um, this, these are the judgments uh, of God. The, the the great tribulation has begun, and when He says the four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, now we know there aren't four corners of the earth. 
in spite of what the, the flat earthers say, there's not four corners of the earth, there's not fat. This is a Jewish way of saying that um, the angels are there preventing the wind uh, to blow at all. Now remember, in the middle of all of this desolation in the Great Tribulation, um, um, there's there's so many people dead already. Again, we're just at the beginning of the Great Tribulation, but there's so many people dead already. And, and imagine what it would be like with no wind blowing. There would be no breeze. There would the, the stench from dead bodies and 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 the other uh, uh, judgments that have come on the earth would be unbearable. And and this is just a, a very Jewish way of saying that the angels have been instructed by God to hold the wind from blowing. Again, this is part of the judgment. So then uh, more angels come and there are more judgments uh, with the, with the uh, sealed judgments of God. So don't take things out of context. Now let me talk just briefly about global warming, climate change, and all of that other stuff. I say all the time, Paula just shakes her head and humors me, I think. But... I see all the time it's easy to be Christian because we don't get scared by all this crazy talk. I, I was watching a flipping from the football game the other night and they had some um, program telethon where these stars were talking about um, world peace and climate and all that. And Connie Britton, who is an actress, she's very good, by the way, but uh, she's just talking about the climate emergency can't wait any longer. And, and she's just scary. She's scared. Everybody's scared. We have to act now. Contact your representatives. And, and you, you know, if you're Christian, all you have to do is read the 29th Psalm. If you're worried about whether or not the, the earth is going to be destroyed, our Bible says that Jesus holds it all together. We know that when Jesus comes, Whenever that is, and we don't know when it come, when he's coming, but whenever it is, he's going to find the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. He's going to put one foot on each side of the Mount of Olives. There's going to be a great earthquake. All of that means that um, God is the one in control. Jesus holding it together. And when he lets it go, that's when the world is going to implode, not before. And we don't have to get caught in all of this crazy hysteria that the rest of the world is afraid of. So thank you for that question. Here is a question from Veronica on line one. Veronica, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. It's Ronnie. Um, I just well, hi, Ronnie. To make a quick... <laughs> How are you? I Good. just wanted to make a quick comment about the prior one about uh, teaching verse by verse as opposed to topic from a, mm-hmm. a member of the fan, church family, it helps us because we get through the whole Bible and no part is skipped whatsoever. And I just appreciate that. It's something I've loved from being in this church, uh, the fact that the whole Bible is taught. And I just want to say thank you and I appreciate you guys. Oh, Ronnie, bless your heart. Thank you very, very much. You know, that kind of a comment really is important to me. One of the things that I do when we finish a book, um, when when I read the, the passage of Scripture and before we pray, I say, Lord, uh, we've now once again read every word of an entire book in your word. And you said that your word will not return void. And, and you know, we're to devote ourselves to the public reading of Scripture and by the time we get through a book, when we get done, uh, I, I've still got several weeks at least in Mark, uh, in the Gospel of Mark. But um, w- when we read the last passage of Scripture and I start to teach it, I'll be able to say again, Lord, together as a church family, we've read every single word of your uh, of this gospel together. And and you know what? There, there's it's such an accomplishment. It's it's. Uh, um, you, you just feel a sense of we've done something significant. Uh, unfortunately, when you go into a topical Bible study, you're not reading every word. You're picking out things that are going to make the points that the pastor is making. And again, many times they're wonderful, wonderful passage of Scripture. 
Uh, I listen to Randy Draper. Um, he's on, on this station. Uh, and uh, um, he doesn't do anything the way I did it, but, but I think he does it better. And, and, and he can do a topical message, and he'll have his lists, and, and I think he does it great. But just I want to be able to go through the whole Bible. And in our 27-plus years now, uh, I've been through the New Testament um, more than twice, and uh, and many of the books I've taught three or four or five times. And uh, the Old Testament, I haven't touched every book yet, simply because we only do the Old Testament one night a week. Um, but we're getting pretty close. And I've got commentaries written on it, so I just think it's a, it's a blessing. Thank you very much, Ronnie. appreciate it. Got time for one more. Here's a question that just came into our studio. Uh, regarding my answered question about Arnold Murray, thank you very much. Oh, good. Good, good, good. Thank you very, very much. And I hope nobody's going to listen to Arnold Murray ever again. Here's a quick one I can do with the last question of the day. Kelvin says, is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven a promise to Christians? No, it's not. And, and, and this is one of my pet peeves, is we have to read the Bible in context. And the key to that is, is who is this promise being made to? It's being made to Israel at a time when they're under siege, they're under attack. God has told them that Babylon is going to, going to overwhelm the city. He's going to carry away the people. They're going to be in captivity for 70 years. And he says, but don't worry, I have plans for you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a hope and a future. So don't think that God's promises have failed Israel. I still am going to be faithful to my word. Now, principally, Kelvin, we can take Jeremiah 29, 11 and say, yeah, God has a plan for us. And the promises he makes us are yes and amen. But we can't take that promise and just sort of broad brush it and say, well, that's a promise to Christians. It's not. Israel is the Israel and the church is the church. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. I appreciate the calls and the questions. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.